Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. With my busy life, I use shipped same-day delivery to keep up. When I need a jar of extra creamy peanut butter delivered, I know my personal shopper Amber will come through. And if it's not on the shelf, she asks them to check the back. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at shipped.com. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Richard Nichols was convicted of murdering his two-year-old daughter in 1996. But what if he didn't do it? In the podcast Convicted, it tells the story of his journey through the legal system and how issues and facts were twisted to prevent him from getting a fair trial. Serial fans take note, Richard was interrogated by Detective Massey and was represented at trial by Christina Gutierrez. Convicted features attorneys, loved ones, and Richard himself. Convicted is an iTunes top five podcast. Subscribe at convictedpod.com or any podcast app. Hey, Kevin. Hey, what? You know how our listeners can go to our website, crimewriterson.com, and yes. buy stuff using our Amazon link? That, that they can. And then we get like a tiny little piece of what they spend, but it doesn't cost our listeners doesn't, anything doesn't extra. doesn't change their price. You're right. Yeah. So, you know, we know a lot of our listeners in the U.S. do this because mm-hmm. we see their purchases of like dog food and, you know, office supplies. But we also have the ability for our listeners in Canada and the UK yep. to also use special links to go to Amazon UK and Amazon CA. Do you know that like 25% of our listeners are in the UK? Yeah. It's pretty incredible. It's great. And they have been buying stuff using that Amazon UK link on our website, com, As well as our Canadian listeners. That's right. Amazon Canada. So we actually have a list of these items coming to us from Canada and the UK. A couple things that Toby Ball picked out. Should we roll it? Why don't we roll it? Okay, little international flavor to our reading uh, this week. Starting with Canada. Fred and Friends CA Slow Brew Silicone Sloth Tea Infuser. Handmade Pure Copper Hammered Moscow Mule Mug Set of Four Mugs. Which is actually what I'm drinking from right now. Uh, Hydro Farm Inc. JSV2 Two Foot Jump Start T5 Grow Light System. Hmm. Now from England. Guggin Men's Swimming Trunks out of high tech material swim shorts bathing drawers. Bathers slip. High quality print. Color black. Beat It Sports Stamina Shot Beetroot Juice, box of 15 times 70 milliliters. You Clever Decorative Washi Tape DIY Rainbow Sticker Masking Paper Set, 10. Funko Pop Keychain My Little Pony Rainbow Dash Figure. Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about journalism, pop culture, true crime. And this week, we're going to talk about the latest development. Hush now. 
<laughs> Pardon? I'm just leaving it in. I'm just leaving it in. And this week, <laughs> and this week we're going to talk about the latest development from the Richard Simmons camp. We'll read some of your excellent emails, and we'll also reflect on Netflix's unique revisit to the Jean Benet Ramsey mystery, a profile of the case through the eyes of people auditioning for a part in a fake movie. So joining me right now is the host of These Are Their Stories, the Law and Order podcast, my true crime co-author and real-life husband, the heavily medicated, apparently. This is what it says. This is an old script that you have. <laughs> it's an old script. <laughs> <laughs> when I first had my cold, that all I right, still right, kind of right. have. Let me say it again. No, no, I think you should keep it in. The heavily drinking Kevin Flynn. How are you doing, heavily Kevin? Heavily drinking <laughs> Kevin well, you have that big seven and seven next to you right who, now. Who poured that for me? <laughs> I did. I walked. It's. It was like 1950. I walked in the door, handed her my coat, and she gave me a cocktail. A, you weren't wearing a coat. B, uh, you handed me a cocktail. I did. I did. We had to come down here and record this podcast. Well, it was critical. All right. I'm ready then. Also joining us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, and licensed private investigator, Laura Bricker. Good evening, Laura. Good evening. And rounding out the panel is the very talented noir novelist and co-host of the Radio Free Dystopia podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Dosvidanya. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just going to get right into the swing of it tonight because we have a lot to talk about. And uh, first off, I'm going to bring back a segment that we debuted a couple of months ago. Uh, Kevin, can you go ahead and read mm-hmm. this for me? Hate, Hate and love mail. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've gotten a lot of correspondence about our episode last week. Mm-hmm. As you guys probably remember, we talked about 13 Reasons Why last week. We talked about all kinds of things, but one of the things that we talked about that had some other traction on social media was we talked a little bit about the Real Crime Profile podcast and their look at the S-Town subject, John McElmore, Mm -hmm. and we all had feelings about it and those feelings spilled out onto social media and um, I just want to just go through a couple quick emails that we got in that regard and one of them I have mixed feelings about and I'm just going to go ahead and read it and let you guys react. All right. Hi. Just to start off by saying I really enjoy your podcast. By the way, this is from someone named David and he's in Dublin, Ireland. Okay. Hi, David. Top of the morning. On more than one occasion, David says, you guys, mainly Toby, were able to sum up my feelings toward missing Richard Simmons and Shittown. I was contacting you to thank you for helping me realize I don't like Jim Clemente. Okay. (laughs) Before I found you guys, I was listening to Real Crime Profile, blissfully unaware that he annoyed me so deeply. Yada, 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 yada. We've basically established ourselves, I think, as tastemakers because we have swayed this nice man's opinion. But, David, we don't want to make you not like people. But if that's how you feel, I guess that's how you feel. And I guess we are tastemakers, right? Yeah, I would just say that everything that I saw on Twitter, nobody disagreed with the discussion. Everybody who's who seemed to be put off by that that episode of that podcast were, like, coming out saying, yeah, yeah. The only person that really seemed to, like, super get into it was... Toby Ball. What? <laughs> At Toby Ball and H well, we, we was like throwing down. I, I was throwing down a little bit too. I mean. No, 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 Rebecca. Don't take credit for the big salad. <laughs> okay, that's true. That's true. Well, this actually like leads me to a little bit of a hate mail. Then read it. This is from Francis who says, hi, I was really unhappy with your last podcast. 
I felt that you devoted 10 seconds to Toby versus five minutes to yourselves. Nice. <laughs> also, you were dismissive and rude. What's regarding... your mom's name, Toby? <laughs> it's Francis. <laughs> also, you were dismissive and rude regarding Jim Clemente's take on S-Town. He's a professional who actually knows what he's talking about. Unfortunately, your group, except Toby, has a tendency <laughs> to spout off on things you know nothing about. This upset me so much. I have unsubscribed, and I have been a listener from the beginning. It wasn't an easy decision. <laughs> Take care. So I guess Francis will so not Francis be isn't listening me. to this one, no, so we can talk about can it. I make a su- wow. I can make a suggestion, which is listen to Radio Free Dystopia. You don't <laughs> have to listen to these bozos. That's right. And uh, <laughs> Way more Toby on that podcast. You get all kinds of me yeah, but talking about stuff I don't know about. But it's ironic because- Toby she- records with no shirt on on that podcast. <laughs> I do. But, oh, God. He's what, like a harlequin romance. <laughs> What's ironic is that is that <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Is that Francis <laughs> told me clown. Toby Francis seemed to think we're not giving you enough time and that we were disregarded Jim Clemente, but you were pretty critical of Jim Clemente also. So maybe um, Francis wouldn't have felt exactly the same way had we let you talk more. I don't know. What do you think, Toby? Honestly? Yeah. I I don't know. I think I was probably more deferential to the fact that he's like a trained professional. Mm-hmm. Um while also just disagreeing with him about some of the stuff that he said. You know, that being said, sort of the social media interaction that I had with him made me question my my deference, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Laura, I think that you'll appreciate this email. This is from Tara, or Tara. I'm not sure she didn't include a pronouncer. Okay. Uh, and she said... <laughs> uh, uh, dear Rebecca, you and Jim Clemente are my two favorite people to listen to. I was taken aback by your rant about him in the last podcast. I don't know. Did I have a rant? I think I just said it was off-putting. Uh, it wasn't a rant, but I guess it could have yeah, been Yeah, you were talking about how uh, condescending he was to his co-host. I said it was off-putting. All right. <laughs> but yeah, he It's a short rant. She says, I was taken aback by your rant about him in the last podcast, but then I went back and listened to the latest S-Town episode. Now I'm seeing him in a new light. I would love it if you would expand on your take and his interactions with Laura. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Nothing stood out to me, but now I'm curious. And then she goes on to say, and this is interesting, and this is what I wanted your reaction to, Laura. I'm married to an FBI agent, and I'm a criminal defense lawyer. I know a lot of current and former agents. There's a definite mindset and robust ego that seems to go along with the job. Now, you know that criminal defense lawyers have a healthy mindset and robust ego. You've talked about that before in the show. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about a criminal defense lawyer saying that FBI agents have a certain personality? Well, you know, I think both of them have to have a certain personality in order to do their job. So, you know, tit for tat there. But, um, you know, and we don't we don't see a lot of FBI agents in New Hampshire. I mean, only on very big cases do we actually interact with them. So I can't really comment personally, but uh, both have pretty big egos. They have to in order to have the cojones to stick with it to get through some of these cases. Do you think her husband, the FBI agent, is looking for a promotion? Because I hear there's openings. (laughs) (laughs) No comment. Can I say just like one thing real quick? I hope that like the whole commentary thing from last week about real crime profile wasn't meant to like cause people to like dislike Jim Clemente or stop listening to hell no like like that that was totally not the intention and things got a little feisty on uh on on social media here's the thing I can have an opinion about that podcast I can have an opinion about you know Jim Clemente and the way he delivers his show 
it should not influence other people's enjoyment of the show. My opinion is totally uneducated because I don't listen. I've listened to the show a few times and had an opinion about it. And there's some social media stuff I have an opinion about. But, dude, if you looked at my Twitter page for like three hours of one day, you might form an impression of me that is completely counter to. It's fine. And I totally agree with you, Toby. People should be happy listening to what they listen to and love what they love and hate what they hate. Right. Yep. yep. Exactly. All right. So uh, I got a question. And this is actually I think uh, I'd love to just hear your guys each give a quick take on this. This is from Ben, who says, hey, guys, love your show. Just listening to this week's episode. Rebecca said that she is, quote, not a fan of the trigger warning culture at all. Citing Law and Order SVU as an example of how talking about issues can improve our understanding. And then he says, Law and Order SVU literally starts every single episode with a trigger warning. And having warned us that this show is about a team of detectives who investigate the especially heinous sexually based crimes. Worst euphemism ever. Is it much freer to actually expose those issues? And why wouldn't you be a fan of that is is what Ben is saying. Basically, like what's wrong with trigger warnings? Um, And there are a couple of things about this. There is sort of like the college debate around trigger warnings in classrooms and on campus. And then there's the content debate about it. They're kind of the same for me. The words trigger warning, I think, have a tendency to infantilize people's ability to listen to things or watch things or experience things or learn things and garner new understanding. I think it also encourages a little bit of play acting at and sort of glomming on to sort of real life issues with PTSD and real life issues with trauma. And I think that when you start putting trigger warnings on everything, you're sort of inviting an acceptance of that kind of sensitivity, which is not always authentic and doesn't open itself up to a healthy dialogue and learning new things. So I just feel like it's a slippery slope. Like if we put a trigger warning at the beginning of this podcast, I would say the problem with that would be like, if you don't want to Listen to this. If you put a trigger warning on everything, then it has no meaning. Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. there is a parental guidance alert for every movie that's made. And so PG-13, ooh, you, you know, it's it's not <laughs> you know, it's not like, oh, we're keeping 12-year-olds from going to PG-13 movies. It's a general guideline. Because it's right, it's a guideline. You can make a decision. It's viewer discretion. If there is something that is very explicit and that it's out of the norm, for its explicitness and because there's nudity or there's graphic content or something like that or, you know, uh, then that should be a trigger warning. But you shouldn't have a trigger warning for But should we call it a trigger warning? Well, I don't know. What do you call it? Just say what's going to happen. Trigger warning is implying that something is going to happen to you if you consume this for content. For some people, it is. we just had a whole podcast That's episode fine. about but this. Wouldn't it be better to with say? With 13 reasons. Wouldn't it be better to say this content, like Ira Glass on This American Life does this better than anyone else. This episode contains uh, discussions that acknowledge sex as a reality or that acknowledge um, death as a reality. uh, Or then he says that. And if that's a problem for you, maybe you don't want to listen to this episode. Like, it's not a trigger warning. It's basically saying like. But that's snarky. Yeah, I guess it is. But you wouldn't wouldn't say, you know, this book is going to deal graphically with a rape. So if you've been raped, you know, I don't know where it started. My sense is that it usually is talked about in terms of colleges. Mm -hmm. It's like a lot of things where I I think used judiciously, you know, you're supposed to be exposed to a lot of things in college. And for people who've had, 
you know, traumatic experiences, like having some forewarning that something they are going to be consuming, usually reading, would contain something about that. That concept, I don't really have that much of a problem with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's that's fine. I don't think you have to have trigger warnings on everything, obviously. But right. I, I do think that, that you have to acknowledge that people have different life experiences. You know, you do. I mean, when people read or see movies about things that they've experienced in a negative way, it impacts them differently than it does somebody who has not had that experience. How do you feel about the actual words trigger warning? To me, that's where See, I it think becomes problematic. I mean, it's the, one thing. The name just, is a problem. Well, it's one thing to disclose this content contains sexually explicit material. Mm-hmm. This content contains a graphic depiction of sexual assault. This content contains a draft graphic depiction mm-hmm. of suicide. That thing that Netflix didn't do that people uh-huh. are complaining about. Which, by the way. Toby talked about that in our last podcast, and I had to cut it out for time. And a couple of people said, like, why didn't you acknowledge this? And I was like, oh, Toby did, but I had to cut it out for time. So I'm sorry about that. But I think... That's why Francis was so pissed. (laughs) (laughs) You're cutting out my stuff. I think it's it's different to sort of say what the content is. Like, you you said Ira Glass does it in a snarky way, but to say... This content contains this material, and so that the person can choose. But I think when you use the word trigger right, warning, that... you're inviting, you are inviting a reaction instead of just presenting what it is. Can you ex- yeah. can you explain what the difference is? Like, I, I, yeah, we don't get what you're the saying. Difference between like we don't want to sound like FBI warning. profilers and be condescending to our co-host. But we're saying we don't get what you're talking about. Well, but one of them basically is inviting you to already have a reaction based on how it's phrased. And the other one's just sort of telling you, heads up, this is what we're talking about. Exactly. But, so one's, but how one's does coloring it, your perception before exactly. you even begin by the way that it's worded. Exactly. So how to, like, explain to me what the, what the wording difference is. Like, when you get a trigger warning thing about, say, a book that has a rape in it, is it... You might get totally freaked out because there's a rape. Yes. So you might be like, oh, I better, I'm going to get triggered. Oh, shit. And the other one's like, oh, hey, there might be some graphic details coming up. Is there a difference between a trigger warning and viewer discretion? A content advisory. Yes, there is a difference between that. Content advisory says there are swears in this podcast. Trigger warning says, trigger warning, if you are upset by certain language, this podcast might not be for you. It's different. To me, it, I agree with Laura, and that's my problem, is you are telling people that they might feel a certain way, which does actually influence the way people feel about the content. It doesn't influence everybody in the audience. It influences those particular people who are sensitive to that. It also influences people who may not be, but may be susceptible to influence about being sensitive to it. Like suicide? That's No, that's the issue on college campuses. And that's what's been happening on college campuses, is that professors are finding that material that they used to be able to teach and explain and show and talk about or classroom conversations about things that are controversial. Like Huckleberry Um, Finn? Like a lot of things. Instead of just saying, this is the material, this is the context in which it happened, it's controversial for these reasons, X, Y, and Z, now let's talk about it. Now students are expecting to have this environment where they are invited to be able to opt out because it might be too upsetting instead of actually engaging and talking about it. Do we need a trigger warning for saying, warning, this program contains images of a child beating a watermelon with a mag light? 
God, <laughs> don't even, don't even launch me on this. All right, all right. I, uh, I think we're split on this, and I think that's fine. Um, one more piece of hate mail that I, I just want to quickly get through before we move on. Rebecca, FFS. Does anyone here know what that stands for? For fuck's sake. Yes. We had so much good mail. What, you picked the three pieces of hate mail? No, there was a lot lot of good mail. I gotta tell people, social media and our our email box was overwhelmingly positive Oh, I have more later in the podcast that I'm gonna get you that are great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, you're leaving the distortion like everybody hated us. Dear Rebecca, FFS, you're actually wrecking my enjoyment of your podcast due to the fact that you don't have the very, very (laughs) basic courtesy to address your colleague by her correct name. This long-standing issue tells me you don't value her contribution enough to bother learning her name. You don't respect her as an equal or professional. You don't take on board the feedback from your listeners. Are you talking about Lisa? You up on this before? <laughs> Please pass my sympathies on to Laura for having such a self-centered colleague. Up until oh. you do this every episode, I love the show, and you guys are great. But then that was paired with a piece of love mail after I. And then you called it. her Laura again, right there. I know. I'm going to have to go into seclusion now to recover from this. I'm that was sorry. intentional. That was intentional. And uh, here was my favorite response to my sharing of that email on social media. This is from Anne, who says, "Hello." I saw the tweet that someone threw Rebecca's way about not respecting Laura by saying her name correctly. I've realized that Rebecca is just like Nicole Kidman's American accent. (laughs) She starts out just fine, but slips up halfway through. Love the show. (laughs) Very, very astute, Anne. I always start with Laura, and then at the end, I'm like, Laura, what do you think? Laura, would like to protect you about it? You're not? I'm sorry that I don't respect you as a colleague. My, I've told you, my husband calls me Laura. Well, he and doesn't we've been respect together. you as a colleague, Laura. <laughs> he, he clearly doesn't respect me as a colleague. So I may have to take some quiet time to get over this, but we'll, we'll see. I, I might be okay. I have a coworker who's Laura and she's L O R A. That's Laura. Yes. And now this is so fucking with my mind that every time I go to say, I go to address her. I'm like thinking, Laura, Laura, La- uh, damn it. Well, Is that short that happens for Lorax? To me. That happens to me because so many people are like, how do I say your name? And I'm like, the more I say my name, the more I think I say my name differently. So I, I'm not, you know. Do you feel I disrespected because with- the name is not pronounced the right way? Nobody pronounces it the same way, quite honestly. So I think I need to just come up with a really cool nickname and just end this here and now. All right, Brixie. Brix. Yeah. So, Kevin, uh, it is time for this. Can you please read this? Yeah. True Crime Podcast Update. So we learned this week that Richard Simmons may have gone into seclusion, but his lawyers have not. (laughs) Richard Simmons is suing the parent company of the National Enquirer and Radar Online for some of the reporting they did during his period of time where he's been missing. Now, Laura, I'm wondering if you can just fill us in a little bit on what is going on with this lawsuit and what is in it. It's funny because, you know, he's been missing and now it's like he's in the news every week. So it's making me a little suspect. So anyway, the lawsuit was filed on Monday in Los Angeles Superior Court and it's uh, four counts of libel, one count of invasion of privacy. And it says that these two tabloids acted with, quote, calculated malice. Um, by publishing stories that stated that Richard had transitioned from male to female. And they were very clear to point out he supports transgender rights, but, you know, he also supports fair and accurate reporting. And and what this came out, and this person that was named as sort of the mastermind behind this or the person that sort of uh, came up with these stories is our old friend Moro Oliveira. Mm-hmm. 
the author of my favorite book that I've not yet read, King Rich <laughs> and Evil Witch, the most world's expensive self-published <laughs> ebook <laughs> ever. So it, the, the lawsuit doesn't name Morrow as a defendant, but it states, you know, that Morrow is being accused of blackmailing, stalking and um, trying to extort money from Richard Simmons over several years. And that Morrow was the one who went to the Inquirer with stories about Richard. Lots of the stories that we heard then reported in the podcast that we listened to, that he was being held hostage by his housekeeper, Teresa, that she was practicing witchcraft, yeah, that he had a sex magic. change. Yes. Yeah, all that all that stuff that went to was came from Morrow. Um, Morrow, of course, is denying all of this. He says it's false and the real story about Richard Simmons will come out eventually. He told People Magazine on Monday, and then he went on to say that he needed the money for the, quote, health problems that Richard Simmons caused him. So I'm not sure what that's about. The tabloids are standing by their story. Ooh, that's a They're horrible saying, thing to say. That's not something I would ever say in public about somebody. Kevin, I need money what? for the health problems that you caused me. Because that <laughs> could health mean problems? anything. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, I need money for all the STDs that you gave me. <laughs> Rebecca, we're oh. married. They're our STDs. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Could Stampy face a lawsuit? I could. Oh, my God. <laughs> be a tabby cat down the street with a good lawyer. <laughs> God, my neighbors could come after me for my cat. So anyway, the tabloids are standing by the reporting. They're saying they haven't seen the whole, you know, at the time it came out, they issued a statement. They haven't read the whole lawsuit, but they stand by the reporting. They say it was based on solid sourcing and material evidence, whatever that is. And then the tabloids also in their statement accused Richard Simmons of hypocrisy because, you know, for, for decades he has worn dresses and dust dressed in women's clothes. So, you know, to then say that this is completely false, they felt like was a little bit ridiculous. So another fun thing about Morrow, um, apparently in, in part of his thing is he offered to rescind his comments to the Inquirer for a price. Oh. Um, so that was the... <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it back if you um, pay me. Classy. Yeah, this is so. This is fun. So in the lawsuit, the inquirer should say, "I'll Moreau... pay you to not take it back." I got my ass on the line. <laughs> but you're gonna like the, this part. I was like, "This is the most ridiculous thing I've heard yet." On this, um, that he stated that he signed up with the agency to publish pictures and videos of Richard Simmons with the sole intent to show how fit and how beautiful he looked dressed up like a female. <laughs> oh God. But then he demanded money from Richard Simmons within 10 days and stated that if Mr. Simmons did not pay him, if he did pay him, he would go say the story was false. But if he didn't, the story was going forward. So, I mean, this is getting interesting. I can't wait to see if Richard Simmons appears in court as this goes forward. So we're finally going to see what's going on with him. I think that we should read his book and we should do a podcast about it. I think that we should do a book review of King Rich and the Evil Witch. And we do a Kickstarter to pay for that. Oh, my God. So, Toby, media companies do sometimes hedge their statements when they're being sued. Um, it sounds like the Inquirer is doubling down on the story's accuracy. Do you think the Inquirer actually thinks that their story's accurate? Or is this just a gambit, you know, in, in the legal sphere? I could not possibly conjecture about the National Enquirer <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. I would imagine they're, they're going to try and brazen it out. I don't know. I've never gotten be beyond the uh, the front page of one, so I don't even know what's in it. Right. But the National Enquirer has famously 
accurately reported some breaking news stories that we're seeing. John as, Edwards. Yeah. The a John lot. Edwards affair. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's happened, I mean, it's happened yeah. more often than you'd think of <laughs> the Inquirer. Uh, but Kevin, um, can you just go ahead, and we've talked about this before, explain why once again that uh, Richard's libel case, his burden of proof is going to be so much higher? It, it's higher because he's a public figure. And so part of the case that he has to prove is malice. Whereas if it were a libel case with a private citizen, they don't have to prove malice. And so malice means that the publication had to have acted recklessly or known that the allegations were false and printed them anyway. And this is classic Times versus Sullivan. That's the landmark case from 1960, which basically set like, you know, what in your civil case, what you have to prove in order to say that you've been libeled. Truth is the biggest defense. So if all of this is true, then he has no case. And I'm not saying like somebody should do this in order to uh, make a legal case. But if the article says that Richard Simmons had castration surgery, I'm thinking there might be a way to disprove that. <laughs> in the greatest courtroom scene in the, greatest courtroom the American scene. judicial system's history. You mentioned the sketch artist in that one. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. You well, know. I do want to say, of course, the first thing I thought of when I heard all this was Missing Richard Simmons, the podcast we talked about on this show. And I don't know if you guys remember this. And their weird this. last episode. I don't know if you remember yeah. what happened was that we heard tape about a last episode that was supposed to be. And then the actual last episode, Dan Taberski starts off by saying, we've learned some things about Moro that have made us change our minds about his credibility, perhaps. And we've decided not to air some of the material that we were planning to air in this episode. Do you all remember that? We remember that. Any chance you might have reached out to Dan? I did, because yeah. I would not be doing my job as a gossipy, nosy podcaster <laughs> slash journalist if I did not. I reached out to Dan Taberski, and I asked him if perhaps he'd been tipped off about some of the allegations in this lawsuit, and that is why he changed the content in Episode 7 of Missing Richard Simmons. He said... He is not named in the lawsuit, and he's not going to comment on the lawsuit, period. And that's yeah. it. Which, by the way, totally appropriate answer that does not mean anything. <laughs> but then, as an aside, I said, are you working on something great? And he said, yes. And that's all I can say about oh, my so you might have conversation a new podcast, with Dan Tversky. Yeah. yeah. So no comment there. Um, but I think it's important to include that I did my due diligence and reached out and asked Well the reported, Rebecca Thank Lovelight. you. Thank you. Finding Moro. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we know he's not cleaning the dishes. <laughs> or was he? He was. He it was might what's be on name? dish duty. Yes. I don't know. Richard Morrow cleaned the dishes. It was the maid who stuck around and at the table. Yeah. All right. Well, I just want to just quickly, before we talk about our marquee topic of the evening, casting Jean Benet, I just want to quickly also mention that we got some incredibly thoughtful emails surrounding our discussion of 13 Reasons Why. You guys may have seen The New Yorker published an excoriating essay uh, on the show. I've seen media sort of covering this from all angles. A lot of them negative, some of them mixed. I think we brought some nuance to the discussion that people appreciated. And most of the email we received was really kind of grateful for our nuanced, more sympathetic discussion of it. So I'll just read a couple of highlights. This is from Heather, who says, uh, as a mother of a nine-year-old, she 
uh, watch the show. Normally, she agrees with Toby this time. He lost Heather, though, because she says, if you didn't watch the series, how can you give a thumbs down based on one episode? That's not the point because of Because Rebecca email. made him go thumbs up that's or true. thumbs that's down. True. That's true. That's, that's true. That's true. That's Rebecca's fault, Heather, not Toby's. Anyway, she basically said she thought it was thoughtful. She thought it was illuminating. She thought that your conversation about Tony and being the 50s dude was, was really, really <laughs> funny. And she was pleasantly surprised by the series. Now, we also got an email from... Kelsey, and this was what this is what I'm going to give a little more detail on because I think it deserves it. She said uh, the subject line of her email was 13 reasons why made me glad I didn't commit suicide." Us too. I just want to share my perspective. I'm not an expert in suicide and mental health. I agree with all of you that it's up to parents and families to discuss and decide uh, if they and their teens will watch the show. I am 20-something, and a couple of years ago, I struggled with depression to the point I thought of dying. I never actually wanted to kill myself. I just wanted to die, if that makes sense. Anyway, I got the help I needed and have thankfully come out on the other side of those feelings for the most part. I was shocked when watching 13 Reasons Why that they showed the actual suicide, but in a way, I was also glad. One of the thoughts that crossed my mind during that dark time in my life was dying the way Hannah did in the show. I always pretty quickly decided against it because it seemed like a painful way to go and I was too depressed to actually do anything. Seeing that scene confirm for me that my decision not to commit suicide was a good one. The scene was painful. Thank you for talking about the show. No one else I know has watched it. It was fun to hear some other perspectives. I agree. It was good storytelling. You can use any of this if you want on the podcast. And if not, it doesn't matter to me. And you can use my real name or just call me ABCDE because that is a name I have seen in real life and is definitely the crime of a lifetime. I love the show. So I just want to really say to Kelsey, thank you for sending that email. Yeah, I I wrote to her. Did you write to her too? Maybe. I wrote a bunch of emails this week. Yeah, we really had some great thoughtful stuff. We did. And they were on on all sides of it. Mm -hmm. Somebody says the gravity, this is Greg, he says the gravity of the subject matter does not exclude the series from criticism. I've faced backlash from people that I've discussed it with. The show's popularity does not excuse the makers from treating it like a season of an adult soap opera with a manipulative cliffhanger ending. Very, very fair points that Greg makes. And then finally, from Felice, this is a long email, so I'll just uh, read some of the highlights. She is the mother of three teens. She says that... Her 16-year-old and all of her friends have watched the show through at least twice. My 19-year-old watched it as well. And then she basically says suicide has always been a hot topic. You know, she talks about Dear Evan Hansen, a wonderful and consistently sold-out Broadway musical that will probably win a few Tonys, is about the aftermath of teen suicide on his family, friends, and school. She says, I love the series. You are not alone, Rebecca. I'm still a big YA fiction reader. She said that this series has really inspired her kids to actually talk about suicide in a way that her family hadn't before and that they, on their second viewing, have been looking for signs of depression in the other kids. And it's actually inspired a lot of conversation. So, again, we got a lot of emails basically saying, like, this sucked. I hated it. Grew with the New Yorker. But we also got a lot of emails from the other side. And I really appreciated them as well. So I don't think anybody in the, on either side diminished the importance or the impact Of the series, whether they think it's a force for good or it was dangerous. Right. I just realized we've only given 10 seconds to Toby again this episode. That's right. (laughs) Toby, uh, are you surprised to hear that so many of our listeners have so much to say about this show? No, I mean, I think people who watch it have been talking about it. I mean, I think that's part of what's made it kind of the sensation of the moment that it is. Kevin, are you surprised to hear that so many of our listeners are so insightful and smart? No, I'm not, actually. I mean, I just want to point out 
We've got a lot of great emails. I just have to tell you briefly about the one that we got today from a, a guy who's a listener. And he said that several years ago, he broke up with his girlfriend and then she committed suicide and in the note blamed him. Oh, yeah, that was a great email. And, you know, it was like, uh, you know, I hope by now that people have told him it's obviously it's not your fault, even though they say that. But in your heart, I'm sure that that is a very hard thing to to put aside. I think he knows it wasn't his fault, but he found it upsetting yeah. that they would portray that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's you know, really that's, fair. Yes. You yeah. know, and, and it's unfair to him. But he had a very thoughtful email and wanted to express that he enjoyed our discussion about it. It hits different families, different ways. I think, I think everybody has you know responded to it in a very adult way. And I thought what could have been a very controversial podcast episode for us was super positive on all sides. So you're patting our, us on the back I, right now? No, I'm patting our audience on the back. They are super... <laughs> your question was, I surprised about the audience? Can you just pat our me on the back? For, I, like, I, moderating? You were a great moderator. <laughs> we had a great... The, the, uh, the three of us were fantastic. The Laura, 10 Toby, seconds Toby I, was on it were awesome. Toby's always great. <laughs> Is Toby still here? Yeah, I'm still here. He's okay. still here, yes. Francis is really pissed, yeah. I'm just, I'm just taking it all in. I'm just taking it all in. Enjoying but, the adulation from Kevin. But our, our audience is, is really fantastic. I, I know this because they're, they're thoughtful, they're well-read, and when they're not reading, they're probably listening to audiobooks from Audible. Oh, definitely. 100% do, definitely. Yeah. Do you love books but find that you never have time to read yes. them? Well, you should try Audible because not only with Audible do you get a fantastic selection of literature for your ears, you own the books. You're not renting them, so you can access them anytime, anywhere, right from your smartphone and over 500 MP3 players. I know you don't believe there are 500 there MP3. Aren't. Somebody counted, and Audible did it. They have the great listen guarantee, so if you decide you don't like the book you choose, no questions asked, you can exchange any book for another title. Now, guys, we are always consuming uh, things uh, with our ears when we're not listening to our own podcast. Well, you know I am. Yeah, Rebecca, tell me about the, what is it, a 16-book series? Oh, I just finished that uh, 16-book Deborah Cromie mystery series. 16 audiobooks? Oh, yeah. We're essentially giving back all the money to uh, to Audible that we're making by reading this ad. Yeah. I spent, I I love Audible so much, I'm an addict. I Mm -hmm. think nothing of buying extra credits. Tell us the books. I listened to that 16-book Deborah Crombie British Mystery Series. It's the James and Kincaid series. But now I've started listening to a new series. Is that 57 books? I hope so. By Is it Ian, the encyclopedia? By Ian Rankin. It's about Inspector Rebus and it takes place in Edinburgh, Scotland. And oh, I yes. barely understand what the guy's saying about half the time, but uh, I'm really, really enjoying it. It's very dark. It's very fun. That's Ian Rankin's Inspector Rebus series. Toby, do you have an audiobook recommendation? I would recommend the uh, James Lee Burke audiobooks. He's a mystery writer. His um, Dave Robichaux novels take place in New Iberia, Louisiana. They're read by uh, this actor, Will Patton, who I think is really good. Is it performed by or read by? I always, I'm always interested to say what they say at the beginning of the book. Performed by or read by? I don't by? know if they say performed or read, but he does, you know, I, I find like sometimes the performance stuff is a little off-putting, but I, he does, I, I think he's, I think he's really good. 
Laura, do you have an audible recommendation for folks? I have been binging on Netflix recently on my newest BBC crime show, Shetland. By Anne Cleves. That's it. Yes. It's great. And I love it because it's just got this awesome atmosphere where all these mysteries take place. But obviously, the BBC show is a little behind the actual series. So now that I've binged through all of the shows, I can go to the latest book on Audible. And the latest one that just came out is Cold Earth. Yes. Um, and it's book number seven. And I, I just like, I am like watching these things like day and night. I was just so addicted. So I'm very eager to hear the audiobook so that I can keep up with Jimmy Perez, who is the uh, lead detective in the stories. Anne Cleves is great. I've listened to every single one of her books on Audible, including the entire Jimmy Perez Shetland series and the entire Vera series. It is great. She is great. And those books are great. You can't make more time, but you can make the most of it. Turn your walk into the woods with the dogs into something more with a free trial at Audible. Go to audible.com slash crime to start now. Ignore your family while listening to books just like I do. (laughs) Audible.com slash crime. You'll, you'll thank us. I swear to God you will. It's great. And you'll look fantastic walking through the woods or going to work with your new wardrobe from Le Tote. Oh, Le Tote. My Le, good friend. Le Tote is a yes. great service. They send right to your door a new outfit every week, month, whenever you want. Twice a week if me. Twice case. a week if you. <laughs> It's a fashion subscription box that sends you brand name clothing and accessories right to your door for one low monthly fee. You basically can rent up to $700 worth of fashion from designer brands like Free People, Nike, Rebecca Minkoff, and more just all month long. And then when you're ready, you put it in the bag, send it back to Latote, and they've already got another wardrobe selection made out for you. It's kind of like raiding your best friend's closet. Laura, tell us a little bit about your Latote experience. I have to say, I love this. I've been doing this now for about a month. And what I particularly recently have been telling people, uh, you know, I went on vacation. I overindulged a lot and I came home and none of my clothes fit. And, and, you know, nobody wants to go buy bigger clothes. But you know what? I got some clothes that week from Latote that were just a little bit bigger. They hid my vacation bump and then (laughs) I can send them back and I don't have to commit. But it was awesome because I didn't feel I was like, oh, this is good. I still feel pretty. I feel nice. I just got some clothes that were a little bit more flowy and kind of, you know, nobody needs to know that I drank 30 painkillers while I was, you know, doing whatever. (laughs) Uh, But a day. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, it's great because it's like, you know, every week you have something new to wear. And literally the minute that you take that to the post office and they scan it you get an email from them so like two days later here's my new clothes it's awesome right it's basically like the old netflix model where you can wear it and put it all back in a week you can keep it all month you can consume as much le tote as you want right rebecca yes and i just like the fact that i love that feeling when you wake up in the morning and you have something new to wear mm-hmm. you can have that feeling every freaking day when you have le tote it's pretty great yeah so go to le tote l e T-O-T-E.com and get started for as little as $39 a month. You'll get 50% off your first month when you enter promo code CRIME. Crime. That's CRIME at checkout. Once you sign up, you'll receive a completely customized tote within days. Wear what you want, return everything in the mail when you're done, and repeat all month long. And if you like something, you can keep it and buy it. Again, that's letote.com. Enter the code CRIME and feel fabulous with fashion delivered right to your door. Moving on. 
Netflix has released a film looking at the perceptions and legacy of one of the country's most famous child murders. In casting Jean Benet, the filmmakers gather dozens of would-be actors from Boulder, Colorado. That's, of course, where Jean Benet Ramsey was murdered and where her family lived. And those actors think they're auditioning for a potential movie. Instead, the actual focus is to hear their theories about their case, their personal connections to the player, and their own experiences and their own lives. This is a directorial exploit from Kitty Green. She's actually made this kind of film before with a movie called The Face of Ukraine, casting Oksana Bayul. It's kind of an experiment in true crime slash something else. (laughs) (laughs) Cinema verite. A little bit. And as The Atlantic said, the film begins with a compelling, if unsettling, sight of a gaggle of children in stars and stripes theme pageant wear sitting on a row of chairs and waiting for their turn in front of the camera. And The Atlantic continues, it only gets weirder from there. (laughs) So, Toby, what do you think of, of the conceit and the concept here and the idea of bringing local actors in from the location and the place that is so tied to this murder to try out for this fake movie and then make a movie of that? What did you think of this? I, I thought the movie was great, quite honestly, especially, you know, having done this podcast for two and a half years or, or whatever it is now. Don't you know, say it I, like that, Toby. Jeez. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I do. I think, you know, for like every week for like the last two and a half years, there's been some kind of true crime thing that I've consumed and thought about. And I thought what this movie was trying to do was try and take a look at what what does that all mean? What does people's interest in true crime, what's that all about? This is just sort of the format in which they chose to explore it. And I thought it was, I thought it was clever. And I, I thought there was some interesting stuff that came out of it. Now, Laura, you have a different opinion about casting Sean <laughs> Uh What did I you do. think about the film and the format of the film? I hated it. <laughs> um, and and I, I don't usually even say that about things, but I... I, like it was all I could do to get through this. It took me three tries. Um, it was like watching people from the local community theater reading a Reddit thread. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I mean, not, I don't want to belittle the crime. Who cares about this crime anymore? I mean, it, and I don't mean it like that, but I mean, like, seriously, we, it's like watching something else about OJ. Like, enough. I mean, why is this, why now? I, I had no interest. Why not? I just, I, it, it was, yeah, I get that. But I was just like, yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't for me. It would, really wasn't would, for me. And, do you think and you would I have felt differently anything. if we hadn't watched the other Jean Benet thing? I mean, do you think that we've just had too much Jean Benet lately? Or is it just actually this that you hated? I did not like the format of this. I did not really care what, like, I don't care what all these people think about this case that's (laughs) that's old that we've already rehashed like 30 times in other things. Like, I don't care anymore. And it's not that I don't care what happened in this case, but like, we've heard so much about this case. Like, why is it that these people's opinion is now going to change how we're thinking about this case? Because it's not like we haven't overanalyzed and gone over every minutia of this case that exists in the time before now. So for me, it just, it wasn't for me. Now, Laura, I just want to bolster your opinion with an email that we received from our old friend, Michael, who worked on a TV show that we oh, Michael. knew and loved, The Grinder. I've been wondering what's up with Michael. Um, he sent this email along to me today, and the subject line is, 
What in the holy hell did you just make me watch? <laughs> we could get so many emails that say exactly that. Reb Love, I just finished watching the Boulder Public Access TV version <laughs> of the John Benet Ramsey murder case. I don't know if I will ever be able to forgive myself for the torture I bestowed on my eyes. Casting Jean Benet could quite possibly be the worst piece of donkey crap I have ever come across on Netflix. They should be ashamed of themselves for even presenting it. Yeah, this show was like the National Enquirer had crazy monkey sex with a Jerry Springer reunion show. (laughs) (laughs) And this dreck was the result. Now- Michael needs his own podcast. Well, I feel like you and Michael are on the same page. I feel like Toby's on a different page, and I'm just going to tip my head a little bit. I'm more on Toby's page than Laura's. Uh Uh-huh. What page are you on, Kevin? I liked it. I think there were some parts where it started to drag. I Obviously, if you're- Tuning in because you think you're going to get another crime investigation, you're going to be sorely disappointed. I thought it was an interesting concept to get these people. And and I think, you know, we kind of get enough of the Jean Benet story, even if we hadn't gotten sort of a reminder from all these other things. So through about, the audition scenes, we got enough reminders of the right, crime. You know, enough of the, you know, the people uh, reading certain lines. It was an, it was informative enough that you, you remember the thread of the actual case. And it, so it ended up being a study in not only these people, but in the way that they remember a traumatic case. I thought that was pretty unique. I definitely liked the police chief, who was also a quote-unquote sex educator. What, the BDSM guy? <laughs> yeah, he's showing her, you know, the... You mean the guy who was auditioning to be the police chief? Yeah. Who he was, was, he was he's a, a bounty plant. hunter. A bounty hunter, he's that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, who brought out, see, talking about how flogging, and you got to go like this. and you Breast gotta go. bondage. Breast, yes, exactly. Yeah. That was amazing. And I, we eventually have to talk about Dixon. And then all the Santas. All the Santas. Because apparently Boulder is home to a Santa college. That's why there are so many Santas Get in Boulder. Get the fuck out, there's yeah, a Santa college. Yeah, a listener told us that. So How do you get a scholarship to Santa college? I... Eat a lot of cookies and drink a lot of milk. Have a big beard. Have a big beard. You could so get that scholarship if it's cookies and milk. Oh, eat me. One of the things that I thought was really interesting was that we had a lot of people auditioning for this who mm-hmm. were community theater actors. Who Some of them, I thought, like really brought it. Some like, did. And a listener actually wrote to us and said, uh, this is from Mary, who said... Um, I thought it was going to be kind of shitty and small town gossipy. I would endure the weirdness just to get to the ending that plays out. I found it all of a sudden compelling and riveting, if not slightly devastating. Those local actors brought it. And I thought the local actors brought it, too. But one of the things that was really interesting is how many of them had personal connections to mm-hmm. the case. Mm-hmm. You have the voice teacher whose students know uh, Jean Benet. You have... Um, Guy the, drove by the guy the, who yeah. was trying out for Patsy, who revealed that her parents met the Ramses matriarch and patriarch quote several times uh, because of her brother's murder. Mm-hmm. Who connect? You know, they connected her parents with his parents. You have um, that guy who said that he was effectively his girlfriend's alibi. She worked with John Ramsey, and she was a suspect, but he was the alibi for her. I don't know. I mean. I feel that woman like who lost three kids. Yes. Well, yes. I, I, the guy who woke up dead next to his his lover. But Toby, isn't yeah. this isn't this about what people then reveal about themselves when they he start... didn't wake up dead? The lover was dead. Yes. Yeah. So sorry. Woke up we, dead. Yeah, yes. Exactly. But Toby, isn't this, lover was fine. Yeah. Is, is, isn't a Me lot, use words pretty. Isn't this a lot about like what draws people to the stories because of what it reveals about them and their and their desire to be close to stories like this? Yeah. I mean, I I, I may have completely misinterpreted the whole thing. But I, I thought the the actual John Benet Ramsey part of it was 
really just more of an excuse to kind of explore, mm-hmm. you know, getting some people who obviously had some, you know, affinity for the story because they were interested in being part of this movie that was about it. They obviously knew stuff about it. They lived in the area. And then, you know, trying to figure out why. What What's your connection? What's your connection to this? Why do you find this worthwhile or valuable? I think they I think they got some answers or at least sort of hinted at answers. But, you know, I, I kind of felt like you could have done that about any of 10 different cases, you know, just casting whatever is really a matter of getting people in that setting to kind of reflect upon themselves. You know, I thought one of the, you know, kind of clever, although, you know, I th- I wonder what kind of, there are obviously more people than you saw talking on camera. So there must have been some kind of process by which, like, I'm sure some people were just kind of boring. And then there are probably other people who said, there's no freaking way you're going to trick me into thinking I'm trying out for a movie and then use this footage. <laughs> but especially when they talked about like, how do you, you know, what, what about you makes you so like good for this part. And then people started to make those connections between their lives and the John Bonet case. I found that that pretty affecting. And I thought it was also revealing in why people would feel strongly about it. Cause I, you know, I don't know if it's exactly cathartic, mm-hmm. but I, I think for people who have these terrible things, the idea that you're not alone in that right. may have some, some resonance. I'm not, I'm not saying that's the way, the way it is for everybody, but for, for people like this who are sort of that into it, that they're willing to, you know, be part of a movie or would like to be part of a movie about it. I thought the whole thing was was pretty good. There were a few scenes that I was like didn't seem like they necessarily belonged that I thought actually kind of detracted mm-hmm. from what they were trying to do, but for the most part I thought I I was really interested the whole time. Now, Laura, can you do me a favor and just pretend for a second that like you can talk about this without <laughs> all the hate? I'll do. Out? I'm done. I'm done. I'm okay. good. Yeah. Because one of the things that really struck me was that there were a lot of people trying out for Patsy, right? A lot. Yes. And we saw a lot yes. of ladies wearing that red turtleneck. And of course, that one lady who was like, I chose a different ooh, outfit. Oh, I got to talk about her, but go ahead. Okay. And I feel like everyone trying out for Patsy. Like, was implicating Patsy in the murder. Like, Patsy as the criminal. And you know me. Of course, I'm just sort of like everyone is a sexist, right? But it's just sort of like the willingness to go with, like, I really want this part, but I also think she did it. Like, really struck me as, like, a a good lens on how a lot of crimes like this, not just this crime, are viewed, where people sort of want to be closest to the person that they also kind of think did it. I don't know. I I thought that was a little bit weird. What did you think? Yeah. I mean, I think it was almost like it's like they're putting themselves into a lifetime movie. And if you put yourself into a lifetime movie, who's going to be the bad person, the mother, the father, you know, it's going to be somebody like that. But I think it made maybe if you're if you're trying to portray that character, I think it would make it easier to portray the character if you think the person is hiding something as you're going in to sort of audition for that role. If you think there's more going on behind the scenes. I mean, that's how I was looking at it. Like, it definitely would make it add a lot more depth 
than just going in as the mother who's upset and worried and scared and what's going on. If there's another layer to what's going on with her, that makes it seem like a little bit more of a sexy role to play. A juicy part, right? I I do. Yeah, yeah. Now, something Toby said earlier, Kevin, about using the footage. Mm -hmm. You think these auditionees just came in and signed a release? Oh, yeah, sure. So, like, they didn't know they were being tricked. It wasn't a trick. No. It's just sort of like, we reserve the right to use this footage in any way we'd like. Right. And they're hungry actors, so they were just like, yes, 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 yes. That's how it works, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they so signed we, it what away. What were you going to say about the pearls, lady? Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> this is my vision of probably what happened behind the scenes. Okay. So you have every Patsy Ramsey wannabe getting the same red Christmas sweater, right? Everybody has the same outfit. Which the production had to do. Exactly, right. That's the whole thing. The visuals, everybody, the police chief wears the same blue shirt and tie, and uh, all the John Ramseys wear the same blue pajamas. They didn't come wearing that. No, absolutely not, right? They got stuff for everybody. I can imagine this woman came in, and they're like, here's your red sweater, and she's like, oh no, Patsy Ramsey wore pearls in a blue thing. And like, like like them trying to convince her because this is right, this is what their whole like visual thing is based on is that everybody's going to be wearing the same costume. No, no, and then not my Patsy, <laughs> not my Patsy, <laughs> exactly. And I'd just be thinking like it's like very community theater. Yeah, like you, you know, and I would just be thinking like what a pain in the ass. <laughs> I would be so mad. But what did you think of the the conceit and the structure of this? film i mean did you it's interesting i mean i don't know if you'd say it's bait and switch but i mean they're trying to get you know looking at a um portrait of humanity uh you you know uh what different people in a community think and feel and i think it's a way to get them unguarded if you brought you know we've done this thing we said come on in and we'll talk about the thing oh i'm doing that right now with something else i'm working on right yeah as you know (laughs) so you know you think about the case and like they researched it in a way so they're thinking about their parts and i think it was interesting like uh, there's there's the press conference scene where they put two of the actors together to compete well, it was well no, like but the they're voice. like it was almost like a, it was almost like one of those things where like an elimination round. No, no, no. no. I'm <laughs> saying like we had a John Ramsey and a Patsy Ramsey in right. different pairs, right? Right, and then they it, and well, they just let the cameras roll. They start interacting, talking about. Oh, I don't know if I would say it like like if I were right, if I were actually John, I can't believe you would say it like this, you know. And I can't believe he didn't touch her arm when he was. Yeah, saying right. This. Yeah, I would. Th- I feel like I want to move it. You, you, you know, it's it's all these sort of things that you know, inform the way people view and remember. And it's just an interesting take. Right? It's not an investigation. No. I don't know if you walk away learning anything more about the case. One of the things that I did think was good was that they, they went a through not a the- secret if you tell. <laughs> well, they went through all the theories of the crime. Uh-huh. Without actually making a statement about, they just let right, right. They, they let it stand that people think this or people think that or people think this. They went through the Burke Ramsey thing. They went through the mother thing. They went through the father thing. So it was, if you tell someone a secret, it's no longer a secret. Stop it. And then there was oh. maybe the best slash creepiest true crime actor audition ever. The guy who was auditioning to be John Mark Carr, who I don't know if you guys remember. Dixon was his first name. That was, yes. on, that was on the slate. Yeah. Yep. Confess. That was the guy who like tried to confess to the crime mm-hmm. erroneously. And um, 
Wore the high, uh, high-waisted pants. Exactly. Toby, what that, That's you... the thing I most remember about the entire case. <laughs> the real case, yeah. Was, was the guy with the high-waisted pants. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you think of that part of the movie where that guy was auditioning to be that guy and he kind of did a good, uh, I hate to say, kind of a good job. Yeah, he like, he killed it. <laughs> he crushed yeah, it. Yeah, no, I thought, I mean, he was definitely sort of, he had it. You know, you couldn't take your eyes off him when he was on the screen. Well, he got the part uh, in the fake movie. I think when they were done, they were like, damn, how come we aren't making this actual movie? I know. You know who else was really good? Was that kid when they were doing the scene where he's drawing the picture yeah. in the uh, in the classroom? I thought he was unbelievable. Like his being sort of both intense and distracted at the same time. And I was like, man, th- that kid has potential. Anyway. <laughs> Yet the I, guy who d- was into breast bondage ended up getting the the role as the police chief. I couldn't get that. Uh, you, that he that was wasn't a, a real actor. He was a real actor. I th- I think he was a plant. I don't think he was real. You don't think he was like a real Boulder resident? Like oh, if you no. knew a bounty hunter that was into uh, S and M, you would definitely have him try out for this role. I just yeah, I was like this. This just seems way too convenient that we've got this guy in here. I mean, it just I don't know. He thinks. <laughs> You doth protest too much. Well, we talk yeah. about unreliable narrators and narrative mm-hmm. style and storytelling structure on the show a lot. This is very different than anything else we've ever talked about. Everybody's an unreliable narrator. Oh, the whole the movie is an unreliable. Yeah, that yeah, was not the yeah, whole point. Yeah, I this is, seems like sort of a silly way to end it because it's such an unusual piece of content that we've talked about. But um. I don't know what to say. It's just weird and cool. And I guess it's time for us to just sort of tell our listeners whether or not we recommend they listen to it. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways. I can't wait to hear Laura's, but I'm going to start with you, Toby. Uh, how do you feel about casting Jean Benet? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways for our listeners' benefit and why? I, I thought it was really good. And when Kevin was talking, it was just reminding me about how good I thought some of the stuff was. Like when they do have like two actors sitting together and kind of talking about the body language that they remember seeing. I don't know. It was just a, it was just a real interesting way of looking at the way that people sort of take in and think about true crime. You know, it was quite a bit different than other stuff, but if like that description sounds like something you might be interested in, I, I, I thought they did a really nice job with it. What about you, Kevin? I agree with Toby. I think it was, you know, on the the interactions with people. Remember the <laughs> the one woman whose theory was that uh, Patsy walked in on John having sex with Jean Benet, and not yeah. regular sex. Weird sex. Weird sex. <laughs> like like there was like the regular sex he would have had, and then the really with his, kinky with shit. His, like an elementary yeah. school daughter. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're not saying, of course, that that's funny, but that moment was funny. Yeah. In a no, weird because way. again, it, it just sort of de- it's a, it's illustrative of everything that they're about, that it's people's perceptions and that they're weird and wrong and theirs. And I think it went on just a little too long. I started kind of losing interest in the end. But I I think that, you know, for an hour and 20 minutes, I don't know. Michael, I'm sorry you felt like your eyeballs got screwed, but (laughs) I didn't think it was that bad. Um, I thought it was weird. So your thumbs up, too? I'm a thumbs up. I thought it was weird and cool and weird and there were parts where I was like, this is awesome. And there were parts where I was like, what am I watching? So I'm a thumb sideways because I am sort of feeling like I want to be a little bit of a surrogate for the audience and a little bit of like a guide. Um, there are things about it that I love. There are things about it that I thought, I don't get it. But 
It is very different than anything else you've ever seen. So I guess that earns an extra point. So sorry, Michael. I'm also going to go, uh, I guess, a little bit thumbs up on this casting Jean-Benet. Now, Laura, we've all been waiting <laughs> with bated breath. <laughs> when have I ever given a thumbs down? I don't think ever. Um, I'm going to go thumbs down. I think had this been a different case, but I think we're Jean-Benet. I'm Jean-Benet out. I mean, we've had so many over the years, so many stories about this case. It did go on too long. I think if it had been shorter and then the ridiculous melon scene, I thought that was just way out there um, where they were the, the boys were smashing the melons with the flashlights. And then in the end, one boy like eats a piece of melon. I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, but hand. that was in reaction to like the CBS documentary. Who knows? Yes. Who knows? Which, Which I didn't so really care for that. either you with the stupid that. house and the fake pineapple. So, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. So I, I think there's plenty of other true crime shows out there. I mean, it is unique and it was definitely something I think had it been a different case I might have been drawn in a little more but I think I've I've just I've seen too much about this case and I just it didn't hold my interest Kevin anything else you want to tell us about yeah we have a new sponsor and they sell tampons here you go Rebecca (laughs) (laughs) that's true our new sponsor is Lola, Lola tampons. Yay. So guys. Oh, don't say guys. <laughs> so ladies. guys. Yes, Rebecca. <laughs> I mean, ladies. I don't know if you know this, but major tampon brands use a mix of synthetic ingredients in their tampons, including rayon and polyester. That's stuff you don't even want to wear, much less put inside your body. Right, Kevin? Right. Their tampons may also be treated with harsh chemical cleansing agents, fragrances, and dyes. Lola tampons are 100% cotton with BPA-free plastic applicators. Lola makes your month a little bit easier. Their subscription is fully customizable. You can choose your mix of light, regular, and supers, your number of boxes, your frequency of delivery, because you know your body best. Lola's subscription is super flexible. You can change, skip, or cancel at any time. Founded by women for women and for women who send their men to the store to buy the tampons. yes. And they're wonderful (laughs) men, by the way. Kevin, you've never complained about doing it. I know. But I know you don't actually like it. But yes, (laughs) ladies, you know your man is going to screw that up. Yes. You send him to the store to do that. Why not take care of it? Subscribe to Lola. That's the whole thing. Get the thing that you want. I want to make it clear. You'll do it happily. Oh, I'll do it. You are proud to walk up to that counter with that tampon Absolutely. Box, but it's going to be the wrong There's one. There's a lot of freaking choices. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. The, but, the differences are subtle. But yes. here's what I know, Toby. Lola offers a lot of different choices, not only in tampons, but in pads as well. They offer pads, liners, as well as non-applicator tampons for those looking for a more environmentally friendly option. Kevin, you cannot screw this up. It's coming in the mail. That's right. I just have to bring it in from the mailbox. So I got to be honest, I got a little delivery of Lola. Mm -hmm. I love the way it was packaged. I love the way the whole thing sort of showed up. It was like, you know, I don't want to say discreet because I don't want to like shame the fact that we need tampons. There's no shame in eating tampons. No shame. Every lady needs tampons. But if you're going to get tampons in the mail, this is how you want to get them. It's pretty much perfect. So they were delivered. They were delivered right to my door in a cute box, personalized, with exact variety for my needs, 100% cotton, BPA-free, leaves me worry-free about what I am putting in my body and what I am putting in the trash. It is all good. So... There is something that you can do for 60% off of your first order. Visit mylola.com and enter crime. Crime. 
That's 60% off. It's worth going to mylola.com mm-hmm. and entering crime when you subscribe. That's M-Y-L-O-L-A, mylola.com, promo code crime. Crime. And thus ends our tampon sponsorship. Yay. <laughs> Thanks, Lola, for sponsoring. We've, we've really arrived now, I Dude, think. we've arrived. We've had underwear. We've had tampons. <laughs> All the stuff my mom thinks we shouldn't talk about, that I don't give a shit and love talking about, they're sponsoring us That's now. right. We have arrived. We need if we some... have KY Jelly next, I'm, I'm just going to, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> we need some sort of like dude products. We need some like. Yeah, we have dude products. Harry's. That doesn't count. Harry's will be coming <laughs> back too, Toby. That, that doesn't count. Nice. We need like some like colon blow mail products or something. <laughs> colon blow? What? Do it yourself at home colonoscopy. <laughs> now you can do a colonoscopy with this app. Anyone anywhere can click on and view the video of this going into your rectum. <laughs> Bendoverandcough.com. <laughs> then you can create an animated GIF and share it on Twitter. All right. This is this is totally triggering me. <laughs> we should have done a trigger warning for Toby. Now it's time to move on to my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime of the week. Crime of the week. <laughs> that was creepy and funny at the same time. All right. A police chase that started in Maryland ended in Pennsylvania when cops used a spike strip to blow out the suspect's tires. When authorities asked the driver to identify herself, she said her name was Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Of course, it was not the former Secretary of State and winner of the popular vote in the 2016 presidential election. It was actually 36-year-old Holly Lynn Donahue. Though she refused to take any drug or alcohol tests, Donahue was booked for driving under the influence and fleeing police. So, panel, here's my question for you. If you were to get pulled over by the cops and felt like using a political alias, what political alias would you choose? Toby Ball, I'm going to start with you. It's too easy. Carly Fiorina. (laughs) Why is that? (laughs) Because of our affair. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I forgot about that. Uh, so, Laura Bricker, if the cops pulled you over, what political alias might you use? The real Rebecca Lavoie. You know what mean? The real Lavoie? At the real Lavoie. Yeah. One of my <laughs> new fake Twitter accounts that has sprung up in appreciation of Twitter refusing to verify me. Is yeah. that what you're talking about, Laura? Yes, I've seen several. I have seen several. <laughs> and they have, they have hair, but it's not as good as your hair, Rebecca. I do like, True. though, that the real Lavoie, I don't know which of our listeners is behind the real Lavoie. We'll never know. We'll never know. But they're kind of delivering the same kind of snark I would deliver, especially your way, Kevin, yeah, which exactly. I really appreciate. Yeah, yeah. So, Kevin, if the cops pulled you over, is there a political alias that you might give? I don't know, but I know the one I won't give would be Ted Kennedy. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was that a Kopechny reference? Yes. I know which one I'd pick. Tiffany Trump, because they would just let me go because they want to forget about me as quickly as possible. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Laura Bricker. I don't know what she looks like. You have to add to that poor woman's misery. <laughs> Laura Bricker, um, before we end this podcast, do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs>
We do. We're back to cats this week, folks. Um, so it's Sadie, and it's a cat who lives at the Ohana Project, a special needs animal sanctuary Aww. in Central California for old cats. <laughs> and um, it looks like she has a depends on in her picture. So the special but... needs are the cats, not the Wait, owners? Cats. How many crazy no. cat ladies volunteer at the sanctuary? Probably a lot, right? Well, this is the other reason I chose them. I checked out their Facebook page, which like the big uh, banner picture is all these cats. And it says this way to crazy lady. So so let me get this straight. You wait, pick, wait, you, you picked a cat wearing a diaper. Yes. They saved his life. So can we just say, like, what is the name of the place? In case our listeners love cats as much as you do and want That's to like, what I'm saying. throw them a few bucks. Like, what's the name of this yeah. place? The Ohana Project, O-H-A-N-A, a okay, multi-species cool. rescue for elderly, injured, or special needs animals. Especially cats. Well, listeners, if you love cats as much as Laura, you want to donate, look them up and make sure that uh, let them know you heard about it here on Crime Writers on. So Laura Bricker, <laughs> if other very sad cat charities want to pitch you and, and, and tug at your heartstrings <laughs> to make their cats Cat of the Week, how can they reach you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if our listeners want to learn more about your alleged affair with Carly Fiorina, <laughs> how can they tweet to you? They can't learn any more about that, but they can tweet to me at, at Toby Ball NH. And how can they hear your new podcast, Toby? It's called Radio Free Dystopia. You know, it's on iTunes and all that stuff. And the Twitter handle for that is RF Dystopia. You know, I got to say, it's one of those podcasts that's like Meg Heckman and Toby. They're not professional podcasters. Toby's a professional podcaster. Man, their learning curve is sharp. Yeah. Because this podcast is getting super duper good. I love it. Now, Kevin Flynn, if our listeners want to tweet to you, how can they reach you? Uh, They can reach me at the Twitter verified account at Kevin P. Flynn. And Kevin, it's the one with the blue check mark. Want to throw in a little plug for this week's Law and Order podcast? These are their stories. Yeah, we have Sarah D. Bunting from Previously TV. And The Blotter Presents. And The Blotter Presents. And Tomato Nation. Yeah, and we're talking about a Criminal Intent episode. I know. Our fans love Criminal Intent. I would recommend checking that one out. And if you want to send me a tweet or follow me on Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also hear me giving (coughs) parenting advice (laughs) on the Slate podcast, Mom and Dad Are Fighting. This show is on Twitter, at CrimeWritersOn. You can always send us an email at CrimeWritersOn at gmail.com. And guys, I have news. News? We have a new way to send us voice memos. You could actually leave us a voicemail. With your telephone? At our new hotline. Ooh. Yes. Um, Ooh. It's very casual. When you call, it just says, this is Rebecca, leave a message. I'll just throw that out there. But um, I don't remember the number, but I do remember the letters, <laughs> the number spells. Yeah, no, this is great. It is seven bleed bag one. Yeah. <laughs> Seven bleed, bleed bag, bag one. Yeah. It's seven that sounds bleed bag one. Whatever those numbers are. There's like a website where you can plug in your number and phone spell, I think it is. I got yeah. a very she didn't like, pick that term. I got a very obscure number and I just plugged it in and that was one of those about seven bleed, bleed bag, bag one. one. So you want your voice in the podcast? Yeah. Call us and leave a message. Before you close this podcast app, leave us an iTunes review. It makes a huge difference. Go to our website, crimewriterson.com. Buy stuff using our Amazon link, no matter what country you're in, and sign up for our newsletter. And, of course, check out These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast. Our handsome line producer, he's Henry Lavoie. Our theme music was performed by the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. This show was recorded in Square Egg Studio at Partners in Crime Media, a.k.a. The Closet in Our Basement, formerly known as Studio C. On behalf of all the crime writers... 
Thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Toby, do you have an audiobook recommendation? I, I think almost all the James Lee Burke novels that are audiobooks that are read by Will Patton. Well, Kevin really did his funny bone, like, really badly. <laughs> and he might be dying. Oh, no. I dropped That's an F-bomb the in the middle of Toby's re- I'm sorry, Toby. All right, stop talking. I didn't even hear it. Oh, he does. You know, it's just, his, it's like he literally <laughs> collapsed in a pile of pain. Oh, no. All right, can you just start, just start the whole thing again? You're going so great. I'm sorry, buddy. Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love chapter two. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home.